Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Credit someone very strange for this story, the Encyclopedia Britannica. The actual book? <laughs> no. It's the online version. Oh. And when I typed in looking for this, it had the most comprehensive coverage. And this, uh, I had what no do idea I call it was it? there. I know, neither. It's there, the Encyclopedia Britannica. And this entry was written by Lorenzo M. Boyd, Ooh. and it was thorough and professional, and it clearly helped me a lot. The story is the story of James Bird. That sounds a familiar name. Yes, we've mentioned it briefly, I think, uh, and I said I was going to do it, but I can't remember if you mentioned it in an episode or while we were just chatting. No, you asked me had we ever done it, and I said, mm. no, we haven't. I might have glanced at a story. You said I'm going to do it, so I didn't read it. Sure. But I've been, I was dying to, but I didn't. Okay, so this story I found... Uh, because I'd seen what had happened with it in recent times, mm. and then I think I asked you, have you seen the update? You said you hadn't. So we'll start from the very start. So James Bird uh, Jr., his name was, his story begins in East Texas in the town of Jasper. He was born on May the 2nd, 1949. In 1967, he was in the last segregated class to graduate from Jasper's uh, Rowe High School. Oh, segregation upsets me so much. Yes, he is... I was leaving my elbow on the desk and I just fell off. Did you do that? Uh, it's important to say that James uh, Bird Jr. is an African-American male. Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, the last segregated class. So times are moving ahead. We're, we're getting past mm. racism or so we think. So he married in 1970 and had three children. However, he did divorce in 1993. Now, After that, he becomes tangled up in crime. He's jailed several times for theft, forgery and violating his parole. Mm -hmm. He's very well known around town and people knew him because he walked everywhere. So he didn't have a car, so they'd always see him walking around. So from uh, 1993, when he gets divorced, we move now to June 7, 1998. James is now 49 at this point. Mm -hmm. On this day, he'd spent... The day drinking with friends and socialising, he'd been with family as well. Now, when it came to go home, of course, he walks home. As he's walking home, three men by the name of Sean Berry, Lawrence Brewer and John King came across him and they offered him a lift home, Mm -hmm. which James accepted. So at this point, I need to say that Sean Berry, Lawrence Brewer and John King are white males. Sorry to have missed a crucial okay. detail. Where are we? Where is this happening? We are in Texas. Okay. In the Texas town of Jasper. Right. The three men had been driving around for some time before they picked up James and they'd been drinking beer and looking for young women. Mm-hmm. Just to give you a bit of their vibe. Yeah. So they pick up James. The witnesses say they saw James sitting in the back of the pickup truck around 2.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. So he been out all day and night. So between 2.30 and 2.45, I'll tell you a little bit about these three men. All three had done jail time for various crimes, 
King, uh, he's 31, so he's the older out of the three, and he met Brewer in jail. Right. Okay, sorry. There's just the names. I was getting confused. But the three of them live together in an apartment in Jasper. Right. So two of them high school friends, one of those high school friends met old They've mate all got in jail. names. Like, now who's the – there's a um, – oh. I there's was going back and forth called, while writing this because their names were messing with me. Well, there's an author called, I think it's Annie Pruel, and there's a book called That Old Ace in the Hole. But all the people in it seem to have names where you can see that she was sitting wherever she writes and she's just called someone Peter Clock. Oh, Henry yes. Rugg. Yes. Like you can see she's looked around all totally. their things. And these people, all, they were, what was there, a Berry? Berry, King and Brewer. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. Now, Brewer and King were associated with a white supremacy group. They connected with that supremacy group while they were in prison. And when they came out of prison, they had racist tattoos all over them. It was one of those things where it was like, we joined the white supremacy group because, you know, we needed protection in jail. No, you're just racist fucks. Yeah, and you've probably got a tiny PP. Yeah. I don't know. There's no reasoning Correct. for that. I just assume. Now we'll go back to the pickup truck. So James is in the back of it. Instead of taking James home, they um, stop in a small clearing just in the middle of some woods. At this point, investigators believe there was some kind of scuffle that broke out. And they think that because there was this one area of grass in that clearing that was clearly turned up and there was, you know, dirt. Yeah. turned up and there was items on the ground there that they believe would have been pulled out of the pickup truck after someone had been kind of dragged out of it mm. is what they think, you know, like he would have swept things out of the pickup truck with him as he was mm. ripped out. Um, after this scuffle, these three men very, very badly beat James. They sprayed his face with black spray paint. Mm. They then chained his ankles up and attached that chain to the back of the pickup truck. They started the truck and they dragged James's body oh along a dirt God. trail Don't. and turned onto the pavement of Huff Creek Road. In total, they dragged him three miles <gasps> or, in another measurement, five kilometres. No. Investigators knew that he'd been dragged along the road because they found items that belonged to him all the way along it. Oh, my God. They believe his body bounced into a ditch on the right-hand side of the road where it hit a jagged edge. That severed his arm, shoulders and neck and his head from the rest of his body. They continued to drag the lower half of James's body along the road for another mile. The trio then dumped Uh, what were... it's it's only. It was really difficult say for me to write thing, this. But he's he's dead at this point, and that's the only. Well, hold your thought. Oh, don't don't. The trio then dumped what remained of James's uh, body in the segregated black area of the town cemetery, and they went to a barbecue. No one knows how long James was alive for during the dragging, but an autopsy revealed that he must have been alive for some time because the injuries between his back and his head were very different. So he had more injuries to his back around his shoulders than what he did on the back of his head. And they believe that was because as he was being dragged, he was lifting his head up. Oh, my God. You can only hope that he was very drunk too. I had such a hard time researching this. This is horrendous. It's so horrendous. So 
a driver's a driver found James's body the next day. They called police, and along the road, this goes down to to also just how fucking dumb these kind of people are. Along the road, they found a wrench that had the name Berry inscribed on it, a lighter that had possum inscribed on it, which was King's prison nickname. Oh, right. They also found 81 different spots along that trail that contained either parts of James or his belongings. Awful. Um, Within 24 hours of finding James's remains, the FBI were called in because it was automatically classified as a hate crime Mm. and um, they knew that two of the people involved had links to white supremacy groups. All three men were found and arrested. Uh, While in prison, King sent a letter to Brewer, again, how dumb they are, boasting about the murder, saying he was proud of it. He wrote that regardless of the outcome of this, we have made history, death before dishonour. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm without speech. Yeah. Mm. So Barry blamed uh, Brewer Brewer and King for the entire crime, but the jury decided there was little to back up that claim. He was spared death but was given a life sentence. Mm. As of 2008, he was being held in protective custody where he's in a very small cell and enjoys just one hour a day outside. He can apply for parole in 2038. He'll be 63 by that time. God, what is what is that? What yeah. is that for a lot? And he deserves that. Yeah. He deserves that. Doesn't he just? <sighs> um, Brewer and King were both sentenced to death. Mm-hmm. The day before Brewer's execution, he told a Houston news station, as far as any regrets, no, I have no regrets. Oh, my God, no. can this story get any worse? It, really? it, it doesn't get any worse. Wow. As far as any regrets, no, I have no regrets. No, I'd do it all again to tell you the truth. Before his execution, he ordered his last meal, and that included two chicken fried steaks smothered in gravy with sliced onions, a triple patty bacon cheeseburger, a cheese omelette with ground beef, tomatoes, onions, bell peppers, and jalapenos, a bowl of fried okra with ketchup, one pound of barbecued meat with half a loaf of white bread, three fully loaded fajitas, a meat lover's pizza, one pint of bluebell vanilla ice cream, a slab of peanut butter fudge with crushed peanuts, and three root beers. Yuck, there's a lot of that I don't like. I don't like peanuts in toffee. When the meal was presented, he told officials that he was not that hungry, and as a result, he didn't eat any of it. The meal was discarded, prompting the state senator, John Whitmire, to ask Texas prison officials to end the 87-year-old tradition of giving last meals to condemned inmates. Oh, is that right? Mm. The prison agency's executive director responded by stating that the practice had been terminated effective immediately. Wow. Yeah. King was sentenced to death and was on death row at the Polanski unit in December of last year. Yeah. Since 2008, yep. his execution 18. date was uh, 2008, yes, was 18. Why yeah. do I keep saying eight? 2018, 2018, Chanel. Uh, they set oh my a God, date you for his to execution. Yourself in the third person. I know, it was weird, but my mind. Um, <laughs> the date for that execution was April 24 of this year. Yeah. Two days before uh, his scheduled execution date, he appealed to the Texas Court of Appeals and the Texas Board of Pardons and Parole. He was denied. He was executed by lethal injection on April 24 this year. James Bird's family made a fan. Well, 
Keep going. No one noticed. James Bird's family made a foundation after his death for racial healing. Dennis Rodman paid for all of James's funeral expenses and gave his family $25,000. I cannot work Dennis Rodman out. He's I know. One of those words. Sometimes He's evil I've... and innocence. I don't know exactly. what's going on. And what I is know. he doing in North Korea? I, I know. What is he doing no there? Knows. But then he comes home and then he's friends with McDonald and then he's not. I know. And then he's friends with Donald Trump and then he's not. I cannot work him out. It's but very bless Kanye. him for doing that. I don't that. know what's happening. Uh, Don King gave James's children one hundred thousand dollars for their educational expenses it's feeling nice everyone's doing really nice things aren't they yeah, yeah. well in 2004 two white teens were arrested after they vandalized james's grave with oh. racial slurs I how tragic cry. is that story? i actually want to cry mm. it's actually horrific how does any human do that you 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 couldn't do that to someone that you hated like that's and why are they hating you? You're just him? a proper piece of shit. Like to someone who had done something to you, you know. No, they've done nothing except exist in their skin. Wow. Mm. That's, yeah, that's it's pretty horrible. Heavy, isn't it? I'm glad I didn't look at it. It would have. I know. I was, and out. like, you know, we all know, I don't get that upset over things, but I was like, oh, that is horrible. And here's another, I always try and find little positives and it's very hard. There's, but there's really not much. No one will remember the names of those three, whoever no, they are, pieces of all, shit. But, but people know James Bird. Exactly. We'll remember him. They and, absolutely do. And what he stands for. I guess he stands for that that fight of, I mean, we can't know what it's like in, in America. I've been to America, but what it's like for blacks living in America. It's mm. really, you know, this is an ongoing theme of the racism yeah. and stuff that they face over there. But that's just. Horrendous, horrendous. Mm. I don't know if mine's much lighter. Oh, good. But I'll... I love these episodes where we just get all deathy. Well, you Mm. may recall, I did refer an episode or so ago, that um, Elsie, who I offended with her the the Biogen accent... Sure. ...who I now... Um, she's think, an esteemed she's, listener. I Say nothing her, else. She speaks like the Queen now. So when she I does. read uh, from Elsie, Eloquent. I read it in this very, very special and way. Uh, and Elsie, what, remember she said she wanted a story about bodies being pulled out of the Yarra River. So oh, that's yes, what I've I done. Do. All right, great. Well, I started looking up Yarra River stuff. Now, I'd if you're never not, swim, swim. I can't speak tonight. What the. F- because you haven't eaten. I hate it when you don't eat. It is. I can't of bring that. in muffin. I've only had a, a every piece time. of raisin toast. It's not enough. It's my favourite. It's not enough, Mom. That's from Step Brothers. All right, go. I'll try uh, to get my shit together. I'm trying to think why you said it's not enough, Mom. Um, the, if you're not from Melbourne, there's a mighty river that runs through the city of Melbourne. It's called the Yarra. It's brown. And it's very long. It actually is 242 kilometres long. We just get the little end bit of it here in Melbourne City and then it goes out into Port Phillip Bay. It is. It is very murky. They call it the Upside Down River because it's the dirt. never drink out of there. No, you wouldn't drink it. I know, but I wouldn't swim in it. I wouldn't. Like people jump into it during festivals. Not allowed to get into that. No, they do. I know, not supposed to. The, The Yarra River... It's is the deadly by the council? Chanel, will you shut up? They for the Birdman rally. I know. Oh yeah, they what do. Are they don't doing? They? That must be approved somehow. Yeah. Anyway, go tell me about how people aren't allowed to jump. Well, in they there. must have to have permits for that. Yeah, but they're not trying to jump into it. They're trying to fly. No one flies over it. One guy did once. I saw him go like thirty meters. For anyone who doesn't live in Melbourne and has no idea what we're talking about, just Google Birdman rally. It's people make themselves flying like craft and they jump off a big thing and, and land in the river. Uh, the Yarra River is the deadliest inland river per metre in Australia. What? 
the Royal Life Saving Victoria released some data a couple of years ago. It showed that 37 people drowned in the Yarra Waterway in in the 15 years to 2017. 81%. How many? How many people? 37 over 15 years. I know it's not a huge number, but it's 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 still two a year at least. That's decent. 81% of them were men aged between 25 and 34. Mm. In about half of those cases, drugs or alcohol were found in their system. Okay. And often it's because they're daring each other to swim across the river. Yeah, because it's disgusting. Check this out. It's 100%. And I, I, mm. I know 10 people off the top of my head that would take up that dare up. Yeah. yeah. Because they think because it's such a murky river and they think it's all, it just looks smooth no, on the top. No, it's not. It's Underneath choppy. there's twigs, it's there's branches, on. there's holes. It's actually illegal to swim in the Yarra River in the CBD. And uh, some of the other drownings were tourists who just don't understand the river. Ooh. And I did a Google search and there's just like case after case of dead bodies. Sure. Um, so February 2019, woman of Asian appearance found dead in the river at Hawthorne, not believed to be suspicious. Some of these are suicides. suicides. Um, December 2018, uh, Yarra River at South Bank, a body near Southgate Avenue. 2017, a man's body found in the Yarra ba- River just off Barker's Road, Q. Mm. Uh, November 2015, police found a body in the Yarra near the Melbourne Aquarium. Oh. They believe to be a man missing from Hawthorne, 20 years old. Oh, dear. Uh, 2014, a decomposed body found in the Yarra near Flinders Street Station. That was a river cruise Boat manager turned up. He thought it was rubbish near Banana Alley and um, poked at it and it was actually a body. So they came and got it out with a wire mesh basket. Isn't that nice? Um, I could go on and on and on. There are many, many, many. Just about every year, as you said, it's like Someone's always being found. So I picked one. Okay. 1923. Oh, you've gone way back. I have. A headless corpse was found in the Yarra River just down from the Anderson Street Bridge which is kind of where Alexandra Parade, where, anyway. Every time I hear headless corpse, I think about that old TV news <laughs> saying. What? A headless body was found face down. Oh, <laughs> how could it be? Yeah. <laughs> you have to say it in news voice. A headless body was found face down by the Yarra. Well, I've never heard that, but yeah. that's good. Uh, so when this corpse was found, the body was in one bag, the head was in a sugar bag, oh. and there were things found on the body which went to show that it was the body of a young girl named Bertha Coglin. There was also in the bag some staghorn fern and bracken with the body, which turned out to be vital clues. This now, is witchy shit, isn't it? No, oh. it's not. I got excited. Bertha Coglin was 28 and she lived on a little farm of at Hinamunji, which is near Omeo in country Victoria. Mm-hmm. Her mother had died about a year earlier, I think, and her brother had died. So this is in 1923. Yeah, her brother had died just after the war mm-hmm. and she wore his medal, his war medal as a brooch. Her father was seemed to be indifferent to her. He bobs up later in the story. Okay. Um and it seemed like he had just no proper relationship with her. Uh, she also had a younger brother. And Bertha had been engaged to a guy called Arthur Lemon, mm. which is such a 1923 name. Arthur Lemon. Mm. Uh, they broke it off and she hadn't spoken to him since. And she was a bit upset, I gather, because she tore her wedding dress to shreds and she left it in the bedroom drawer. Ooh. Bertha had recently had all her teeth removed. Why? Well, I don't know. Now, I won't name the person in my life who has had all their teeth removed, but and that was in the I know exactly who 1950s. it is. Don't say. But 
it was commonly done, I think because people didn't have proper dental care. And if I it, knew it would be that person. Who else would it be? Because if it's a don't say it, because it's very, it's a very, very sore point. But they just used to send them in, and the dentist would just take all the teeth out, and it's traumatizing. It's Can you totally, imagine? Do you know, I don't know why I knew it was that person, but it's just something that like would happen. It's just a terrible thing. Yeah, and, and just never, give you a never wants to be seen without the yeah. Imagine, and then okay, you can't taste anything. So mm-hmm. I. For work, had to look at some crime scene photos and I'm like scrolling through these photos. There's like hundreds of photos. This person was murdered in their house mm. and in the corner of the room, as they were, the person was choked to death and as they were choked, their dentures obviously flew out of their mouth oh. and there was a shot of like a dentures, like a full set of dentures and they had blood all over them. Oh. And I found that more disturbing yeah. than seeing the pics of the dead Bode. Because it's like part of, I don't know. Oh, what it was that just is. really grossy. I couldn't look at it. And as it was on the screen, <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. As it was on the screen, just the top part of it, so it was, you could just see pink covered in blood. Oh. Nicholas was like, oh, what's that? Yeah, it's awful. Looks like something, oh, what is that? And I was just like, I can't explain. Just it's kept like scrolling meat past made it. made of plastic. Yeah, it looked, I don't know. Whoa, it looked horrible. And I hate those, by the way, that they have them in restaurants where they have the meat made out of plastic in the window. But, gosh, we've gone to a whole different place. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, so Bertha had had all her teeth removed. Take out, yep. And she was also suffering from earaches, quite bad earaches. Mm. So her dad brought her down to Melbourne to see a specialist and then he went back to the farm and left Bertha to stay near the city, I think in Dandenong, with mm. her auntie. And while she was there with her, staying with her auntie, she contacted a friend back in Omeo, a guy called Thomas Cook, and she asked him to come to the city to help her with something. Okay. Because Bertha had a little problem. Oh. She was pregnant. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and having the child was out of the question. She just wouldn't be able to manage that. And her mum's gone, remember, so she's, yeah. Uh, so Thomas Cook, this friend from back in Omeo, got the name of, in inverted commas, a respectable woman. I'm oh, not quite no, sure what I this woman. I know this is going. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, this woman's name is Lilium Mueller, and she worked at the Recreation Hotel on Spencer Street. Okay. I don't think that Lilium Mueller was doing the procedures that you're probably thinking about. I think oh. – I don't know who she is, but she's just described throughout as a respectable woman. I'm not sure. Uh, and this Lilian Mueller sent uh, Bertha to a house in Richmond that was run by – they call her a nurse. I don't know whether she was a proper nurse or if everyone just called sure. her a nurse. But her name is Hannah Mitchell. Okay. And she ran what at that time was quite a profitable abortion business because mm. in the 1920s, as we, we've talked about this Needed before. to do that on the low. The Exactly. Yeah. And the abortion industry was just thriving. I mean, they were getting – women were vulnerable. They were desperate. They had nowhere yeah. else to turn. They were having terminations. And if they couldn't – afford to have it done properly, and I'm not even sure you could actually in hospitals and things at that time. Maybe not. They were going to these backyard abortionists who were making good money out of it, but they well, didn't have... Because the hospitals were run by nuns. Well, yeah, so, so you had to go to these places. Yeah. Um, the medical equipment was often not the right thing. They were using just whatever they had in the kitchen. Um, didn't even care about hygiene. So the death toll was quite high and the money was good for the abortionists. Now, Hannah Mitchell had a two-storey house on Burnley Street in Richmond and it was a maze of rooms and crammed with girls. There were up to four of them in a bed, a lot of them in pain, a lot of them really distressed by what they were going through. And in one bedroom was Bertha and she was 
bleeding really heavily <gasps> and yeah and near death after Mitchell had done a procedure on her downstairs um waiting to take her out on a date was Hannah Mitchell's boyfriend I'm Frank sorry what Bonfiglio I'm sorry what I know Waiting to take I'll her away. Just be a minute. I'm just hacking the life out of these young women and their babies. Waiting up to take to me, her on a date. Mm. There's a whole lot more to their story, but I just didn't want to bog you down in the details. My so Lord. he's down there waiting. Um, another man that was waiting with him in the room was a guy called Horace Solly, and he said that his wife was upstairs. They already had five children, and they just couldn't manage another one. So yeah. he, so it's a it's whole expensive. mixture of women there. Sure, being different helped. reasons. So Hannah Mitchell calls out to. Frank Bonfiglio, who could be her ex. I think I don't know if they were married and divorced or whether they were just boyfriend, girlfriend. Anyway, she called out to him, I have a girl taken bag, take your coat off and help carry her to the bathroom. So he goes up there to the bedroom where she is and he said later, he told the police, that she was lying in a mass of blood. Her clothing and the sheets in the bed from the waist down were just soaked. Horrific. And they carried her to the bathroom and Hannah Mitchell got to work with scraping and syringing and soapy water and whatever she was doing. I know it's hideous. And Bertha continued hemorrhaging. She was lapsing in and out of consciousness. I've actually, I have left out a lot of it. The the story I read was incredibly graphic. Yeah. Um, And uh, they were giving her sips of brandy. Excellent. Mm. Wonderful. And they put her back to bed. Now, No painkillers? Nothing, just the brandy. So Bonfiglio said he wanted to call a doctor, but Hannah Mitchell refused and she said, a doctor cannot do more than I did to her. Um, obviously, it wasn't very long before Bertha died. Ugh. Uh, and Hannah Mitchell said it would be no good informing her relations as it would be putting me away, oh. as in she cared more about herself and her business. Of course, her business. She wanted to get rid of the body and keep the fact that Bertha had come to visit them a secret. Mm -hmm. So with this Frank Bonfiglio's help, she borrowed a car the next day, wrapped Bertha's body up in sheets, put her on the floor of the car between the front and back seats, and they drove to Coldstream. So today from Richmond, that's probably – actually, I looked it up on Google Maps. It was 47 minutes, but back then it would have taken them, you know, seven or eight hours. Yeah. I'm exaggerating, but – A long time. It's about 50 miles. Yeah. And those two had actually been to that area – quite a bit earlier and he reckons that back when they'd been there that she had said to him at that time if any of my patients ever die this would be a good place to put them oh good so when they got there they unwrapped Bertha's body which uh, for some reason that upset me that yeah. they leave her wrapped at least something um, and they dumped her body in a bushy gully they covered her with leaves and ferns and dirt and Hannah Mitchell said she will be eaten by some animal in a few days and it will be not known who not known who she is if they find her so when they got back to Richmond she burned Bertha's clothes under the copper which was the old yeah used to boil the clothes in there yeah if you ever come to my house because my house is the oldest house in the world there's a burn mark on the um Kirsten's coming in a few weeks time there's a burn mark on the floor of the bathroom because that used to be where the old copper used to be and you can see where the fire was anyway so she burned her clothes but she kept that World War One medal that Bertha used to wear and she also kept a little diamond ring that she had uh Lillian Mueller, now this respectable lady from the city who had Mm -hmm. sent Bertha there she came to check on her And Hannah Mitchell told her that Bertha had gone home. Right. So I guess she just went back to her wherever she lived. Sure. 
so it wasn't long before this Frank Bonfiglio has woken to it, woken up a little bit and decided that he doesn't want to hang around with Hannah Mitchell anymore. Sure, She's yeah, a bag. got some smarts about him. And he sets off for Western Australia, but they did keep in touch and he would ask her for money every now and again and she would give it to him. But then he wrote to her demanding £500 for his silence. Mm. Which I did that one of those little things. That's about forty thousand dollars in okay. today's money. Wow! She didn't pay it, so he came back to Melbourne to tell her that she had to Collect. pay. Collect. Mm-hmm. They had a fight, and Hannah Mitchell pulled out a gun and shot Frank Bonfiglio with her revolver. She hit him in the arm and the back and the front. Uh, she walked out, locked the door behind her, and said to him, "Frank, I'm sorry, but I have to do it." I don't know what voice she said that. Frank, I'm sorry, I have to do it. Hmm. It could be in that one. Hmm. He crawled to the window. He struggled out onto the street, dripping blood. Oh, no. Managed to get to the house next door, which was also a nurse, which was also probably doing the same thing. He managed to raise the alarm. He was taken to hospital where they said, no, he didn't. No, so he survived. Um, And he was able to tell the cops a whole lot of stuff and was very willing to do so. So Hannah Mitchell, who by this stage was 45 years old, was arrested on a charge of shooting Bonfiglio with intent to murder him. Okay. And from his hospital bed, he gave the police the full story. And when he recovered a bit more, he went to a detective, Ethel, and they went up to Coldstream, where the body had been dumped, looked for it, couldn't find it. Mm. They did find where it had been and they could see that something had been there. Um, they then went and saw the car that they'd borrowed from someone and sure enough you could see bloodstains in the boot and on the floor of the car. So it was another two weeks later a man named Harold Sharkey Boyd was crossing the Anderson, Anderson Street Bridge in Richmond when he heard a car pull up and a man got out and dumped a large lumpy sack into the river. Oh. So he... Reading the story about him, he was obviously so thrilled to be part of something. Oh, like, oh I've seen something. He couldn't get to the police station fast enough. Yep. He's telling the cops, I've seen something. And I'm part of this. Yes, exactly. It's yep. suspicious. So the police went. They dragged the river. They found all sorts of other things, a bike and stuff. And that's when they found the bag with the body in the bag and the legs were all crumpled up and then oh. the head in a sugar bag. But... This was actually not the bag that this Sharky Boyd guy had seen being thrown into the river. That It was just sheer luck oh, that they found okay. the bags with Bertha's body parts in it. Um, the police officers, and I'll just read you this little bit from the newspaper report at the time, they gagged at the severe stench. They found the sack stuffed with muddied black fern leaves. The corn sack held the decomposing remains of a woman's body. The legs were bent up, and between them was another bag. McGuffey hacked it open to find... How about the language thing? Hacked. Hacked it open to find a woman's skull and a fade, uh, a faded and slimy length of dark brown hair. So the ferns and the bracken in the bag matched that site at Coldstream where Bertha had been um, dumped. At the morgue, they were able to establish, because there was a piece of the jaw there, that the woman had no teeth. So they were pretty confident that it was Bertha Coughlin. Yep. Um, Now, the police, this is where there's a little bit missing, and I can't find anywhere. The police were tipped off that the body had been moved but they would never reveal who or oh, why. Okay, so someone sure. made a call to the police yep. station and told them the body had been moved. So we don't know who did that. Yep. So Hannah Elizabeth Mitchell was charged then with willful murder. Mm-hmm. Her daughter, who was 19, Margaret Mitchell, and her sister, 
who was 28, Margaret Millward, they were charged with well knowing that Hannah Elizabeth Mitchell did murder a woman named Coglin and on dates thereafter did, did receive a compact to harbour, assist and maintain the said Hannah Elizabeth Mitchell. In other words, they didn't call yeah. her out on it and they helped her. Um, Elizabeth Mitchell's sister admitted that she had been in the car when the body was taken to Goldstream mm-hmm. and that she'd helped carry the body at the same time. She was allowed out on 500 pounds Bail. I actually don't know what happened to her in the end. I reckon I think they let her go. Mm. Nurse Mitchell denied performing an abortion. She said that Bertha had died of a natural complication to her pregnancy. And she said that getting rid of the body had been Frank Bonfiglio's idea. Okay. Do you reckon I'm saying his name right? Yeah. Would the G be silent? Bonfiglio? Oh, it could be. Hmm. Could be. Mm. Uh, and because Bertha's body was so decomposed at this point, it was in, in those days, it was impossible for them to prove that she had had an abortion. So the jury found Hannah Mitchell not guilty and oh. she walked free. Mm. And it was after that trial, she was then tried for shooting Bonfiglio and the jury believed that she was acting in self-defence when she shot him and again she went free. And that is rotten. It is. Hmm. Hate her. Hmm. Uh, we've got a phone call coming through. Kirsten, have we got a phone call coming through? Are you there, Mick? I am there, yes. <gasps> Hello. <laughs> Hello, Mick. Hello. Hello. How are you, girls? Can you tell us apart who's speaking to you now? Dee Dee. Oh, oh so yes. good. Thank you so much for being patient Look, with uh, us. We've listened to you for hours going across <gasps> the Nullarbor and back, <gasps> and you kept us there. Uh, Thoroughly entertained, oh, laughing. Wonderful. It's uh, yeah, it was certainly a good way to pass the time. It's Dee Dee's <laughs> accents, isn't it? They just get oh, you through. I think it's that murder that Chanel does. Uh, Mick, Mick, have you got multiple personalities, or is it when you say we, is there a person with you? No, there's no one with me at the moment. But when we did, when I went and did the trip across the Nullarbor, it was with my wife. Wonderful. What did you do that drive for? That's a long trip. We were, um, because we're sort of uh, in our 60s, retired, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we were going on a road trip across to Perth to see her uncle, um, who's our last living relative, and then we dropped down to Margaret River and uh, Albany and had a look around the place. It was great. Beautiful. Just free agents. Nicholas will not do that with me. What, just get nothing and drive? Yeah, he will not. We said we have to go out of the country, and I say the holiday is in our backyard. Yeah. Well, we've been doing quite a lot of travelling overseas, but uh, yeah, you sometimes think it's better to leave the the other ones till the end uh, yes. when when you can't travel overseas. That's but right. At the moment, we're lucky enough to do both. Well, I was once given the advice um, by an older person that do it while your eyesight's still not too bad and your knees can cope with all the walking around the place. Yeah. Exactly. I yeah. love walking. Yeah. Love now, Mick, I uh, didn't just ring you for a chat about your travel plans and things. <laughs> we believe that you have seen a, bit, a dead body. Now, take us back to whatever year that it was. Well, I'll set the scene. So this is Please back do. in about 1978-ish, so way before there was mobile phones. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was about 18 there with two mates, and really we had not been taught any first aid or anything like that. So we uh, had only just got our licences. Mm-hmm. It was nice and sunny, and we decided to go for a drive. And where we, is this, Mick? Where were you? This, this is in Mordialic. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. We were driving down Barclay Street at about three on a Sunday afternoon and we noticed in the distance this old guy and he looked like a vagrant. He, he uh, was rather large and rotund. Uh, he looked dishevelled and he was staggering up along the footpath. Oh. And as we uh, approached him, he decided to cross the road in front of us. Oh. <laughs> he gets about halfway across the road and he drops, just drops down like he'd been shot. Oh, I thought for a moment you were going to confess to murdering him, <laughs> hitting him. <laughs> so we screech to a halt uh, just in front of him. We pile out of the car and stare at him wondering what to do. Like I say, he was about 70 he was unshaven, he was rather large, had dirty clothes on, mm. and he had a very distinct, unpleasant odour because oh. as soon as you got out of the car and sort of had a look over it, you could, oh, oh you could smell it. Yeah. He also had wet himself when, oh, when he'd gone oh. down and vomited. <gasps> oh, dear. Um, the double. And, and you're sort of standing there and you're going, you know, you're young guys, you haven't seen mm. anything like this before. No. And what you, do we Yeah, you don't want to... What do we do? So what did you do? Well, you don't do well, mouth to mouth. He's just vomiting <laughs> and he stinks, but he's dying. I think dying. you're supposed to, though, aren't you? Aren't no, you supposed to clean see, it out? I reckon in that moment, everyone goes, you do it, you do it. But in that moment, you're like, oh, I'm not sure. Can you put a bit well, of plastic? Well, <laughs> I think probably now you're... you're or you probably taught it a lot more yes. and, and everything else. But we had... The only time we'd been taught mouth-to-mouth resuscitation was when we did our safety swimmers, which was back in right. probably year seven sure. or eight, you know. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, we did sort of, we, we knelt over him and we felt for a pulse and we couldn't feel a pulse. Nothing. And we sort of looked at him and you could see he wasn't breathing. He was dead. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> was he bleeding? Anything he obvious? wasn't bleeding. Okay. You no, know, he wasn't bleeding. He, he just sort of collapsed in front of us and he was half on his side. Oh. He had a, a couple of bags with him which he'd sort of dropped when he'd fallen. Oh, it's probably and, all his stuff, <laughs> all his things. So what did you do? Well, we thought we can't leave him in the middle of the road, you know. So we picked him up oh, and, and we took him and put him on the nature strip. And then one of my mates went to the nearest house to try and call, you know, triple zero, get an ambulance. Mm. Right, because you've got no and, mobile phones. No, that's right. No mobile phones. I mean, no one else is around. Yeah. So we, <laughs> we try one of the houses, no one there. Try another house, no one there. So my mate who was driving, he said, I know what I'll do. He said, I'll, I'll drive down to Mordialic Police Station. There'll be coppers there. They'll know what to do. Right on. So he got in the car, took off and left me and another guy. With on, this just with the dead, dead guy? Body. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, it kind of looks like you're a murderer. Well, exactly. You, you it just like, like we've hit him with the car. Yes, and, you know, correct. More. But we did stay with him. Okay. You know? And because of the smell and the vomit mm. and everything else, we didn't do mouth to mouth. No. Don't no. mention the vomit again, Nick. No. Just please. <laughs> Anyhow, so about 10, 15 minutes later, my mate came back in the car and he got out of the car and he goes, he won't believe it. He said, I rushed into Mordialic Police Station I said, a guy's dropped dead in the middle of Barclay Street. He said, there's a copper just on the other side of the counter reading the paper. <laughs> and he, he looked up at me and he said, 
You don't know who's winning the VFL footy, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's Melbourne. Of course he's asked you that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute no interest at all. What? But they, but they see it all the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. did they send someone? Eventually, my mate came back, and, and the policeman had called the ambulance. Right. And, and they said, yeah, we'll be up in a few minutes, mate. And next thing we can hear the siren in the distance, we thought, oh, great, an ambulance coming. And, and if he lived on the streets, as it sounds like, do you think the police knew who he was? I've, later on, the police did say to him, oh, I think that's such and such, the old drunk uh, that right. uh, fre- frequents the front bar at the Bridge Hotel in Morty Alley. Oh. So uh, I think when he saw him, I think he had an idea of who he was. Mm. So anyhow, the ambulance arrives, the ambulance guys get out, they go over, have a look, and they really don't pay him much attention. They just sort of go, yeah, he's gone. Yeah. Uh, and they said to us, look, don't feel bad, guys. He probably was dead before he hit the ground, mm-hmm. uh, which made us feel a bit better. Yeah. So, so they said to us, oh, can you give us a hand getting him on the stretcher? Because he's a, he was a big guy. So they've oh. got a stretcher out of the back of the of the ambulance. So we helped them lift him onto the stretcher. And immediately they lifted the stretcher up. His arms fell down each side of the stretcher. Oh, no. So they put the stretcher down again and they got his hands and they shoved him down his pants. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) And we started sort of sniggering because it looked like the poor guy had died while he was having a... Yes, okay. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he was sorting himself out. Yeah, sorting himself out. Exactly right. (laughs) And... But you still felt really bad because I mean it could have been yeah. your your grandfather or that's right, your, it's someone's or, son. But anyhow, they they put him in the ambulance, and then the policeman starts looking into the bags to try and I suppose find out who he was and everything else because he had no yeah. identification on him. And they open up one of the bags, and here here are three fresh flathead. Oh well, fish. there you are. Yeah, that's Lovely the source of the smell. Yuck! <laughs> I'm blaming the fish for were the smell. Were they fresh? I don't they think were lovely so. and fresh. Oh, they look they, because he sort of opened the ambulance man opened the bag and, and uh, sorry, sorry, the policeman opened the bag and the ambulance man came over and he had a look and and the uh, and the policeman said, "Oh, what are we going to do with these?" They all took them home and cooked them. That's what they did. Waste not, want not. I believe that's called. <laughs> and the, yeah, the ambulance driver said, oh, he said, don't worry about those, mate. I'll take those. Oh. And, and he put them in the back of the ambulance. Of course. And then they all drove off. Yes. Oh, no. And what did you do for the rest of the afternoon? We discussed what had happened. Yeah. <laughs> Of course. Amazing, amazing. I mean, if it was now, you'd have photos, you'd be doing selfies oh, with it, all sorts oh, of things. crazy. Look, by now, we probably, if it was nowadays, someone would have had a mobile phone, they would have said, look at these three young guys. Yes. No notice of this poor dead. They should have done CPR yeah. straight away. Yeah. Totally. And so, Mick, um, two questions. One, have you learned to do CPR since then? Well, actually, as I belong to a bike riding club and they were running uh, first aid courses on Sunday when you wanted to talk to me. And, uh, yes, I <laughs> went and attended and learned my CPR. Yes, good. good job. And the other question is, where's the next road trip for you and the good lady wife? Uh, we're going up to Queensland. Oh, Get fantastic. Away from this horrible weather. I'm coming. <laughs>
<laughs> I can talk to you from the back seat the whole time and it'll just be like podcast, but I'll really be there, Mick. Uh, but... Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, you can do it like the podcast. We'll have to get Dee Dee on the phone. So... <laughs> <laughs> you do it well. I'll just interrupt her the whole time. Oh, well, Mick, fantastic. Thank you so much for Great your story. story. Um, yeah, honestly, in more innocent days, you'd have to say, 1978. Yes. And I hope you're driving in the future goes with no one walking out in front of you and dying. I am. Well, actually, a couple of weeks after that, it was it was a late night. Oh, no. With these three mags again, and we were driving down Chapel Street. It was about 2 on a Sunday morning, and we saw a guy fall off a shop front, which <gasps> I think he must have been trying to rob. Oh, and we dear. Just looked, we just looked at each other, and he... he hit the ground, and we said, we're not stopping. Didn't see it. (laughs) Didn't see it. Didn't see anything. So the point of the story is you got new mates, you got married, and now nothing bad has happened ever since. Wonderful. That's right. Yeah, good job. It's been enough time that we can talk about this without probably offending anyone. Correct. That's what we aim to do. (laughs) Well, good to speak to you, Mick. Thank you so much. lovely girls. Uh, keep Thank me entertained you. on my road trip. Well, you'll be keeping yourself entertained because you'll hear yourself on, on <laughs> yes. an upcoming episode. Thanks so much for talking to us. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. If you've got a story like Mick, if you've seen a dead body, may have been back in 1978, we'd love to hear it. And, uh, give us a, an, an email at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com or drop us a line on the Dead Bodies Facebook page. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.